Well, how are you guys doing this morning? Good, right, good. good. Um, hey, just want to say before it's too late, go Buckeyes, okay? Um, so far, right, the last three weeks have been great. Two weeks ago, we beat, we beat Clemson in the semifinal, and then last week, uh, Michigan rehired their coach. That's great news for us. And then, uh, and then this week, uh, we're going to win the national championship. So it's just a great three weeks to be a Buckeye, and I'm so proud of being a Buckeye and being part of this great state of Ohio that's always against the world, okay? Let me just say that. Um, get that out of there. But uh, hey, last week we started a brand new series uh, called Borrowed Time, and uh, it's all based on this one simple truth, and that is our life is short. Life is short, right? It doesn't, doesn't last forever. It doesn't last long. In all honesty, our life's a lot like this hourglass, right? I mean, at some point, our life starts, okay? We don't know how long our life, life's going to be. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't know when it's going to be up. But, uh, but our life is slowly like draining out of us. It's, uh, it's kind of a bleak way to, to look at it, but it's slowly, you know, ticking away. And as Christians, we should feel a sense of urgency in our life, knowing that someday our time's going to be up. And when our time's up, it's not like we could go back and fix things. We can't redo, you know, there's no redos, there's no do-overs. Um, you can't go back, you know, there's no second chances or anything like that. And so knowing that and understanding that, it should, as a Christian, it should really change our life. It changes our understanding of life. It changes the way that we think about life, All right, It changes what we do in life, right, how we live our life. I remember um, hearing, or somebody was telling me this a, a few years ago, there was, a, there was an old man, um, older man, he, he came one Sunday morning um, during the service, he decided to ask Jesus to be a part of his life, okay? So he gave his life over to Jesus, and he came down front after the service, and he was crying. And, and you see that once in a while, because it's an emotional thing. I mean, it's the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life that you have a creator, and he loved you so much that, that he came and he died for you, and, you know, just all this stuff. And so, uh, but this, this guy, it wasn't, like, um, it wasn't like joyful crying, okay? And so as the pastor was asking him, you know, what's the deal, what's going on? The guy kept saying one thing over and over and over again. He kept saying, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. He's talking about his life. Because just a few minutes after he gave his life over to Jesus, I mean, just qu that quickly, he realized the reality that he had completely wasted his life. Right? Doesn't that freak you out a little bit? Man, that freaks me out. Like, that's the last thing I want to feel, that regret, that kind of regret, and, you know, at the end of my life, right? It's just like, man, I've, I've, you know, I've worked my whole life trying to get a better house and, you know, trying to, trying to you know, have a good family and trying to live the American dream and, and do this and do that and, and, you know, get promotions at my job and have, you know, be a leader and all this, all this like, good stuff, but completely miss the, the job that God has for us and really completely, you know, waste our life. It's all just in stuff that we can't take with us. And this guy got it. And in a sense, that's what Paul's trying to warn Timothy about in the, in the letter of 2 Timothy, which we've been looking at, which we're going to look at in this, in this series. Um, this letter is written by Paul to a guy named, guess what, Timothy. And, um, and he writes this letter. It's a very unique, it's a very um, 
personal uh, letter. And we kind of get to see a side of Paul that we haven't seen before in other letters that he wrote in, that we have in the New Testament. And, uh, and he's just got a lot of stuff going on in his life at this point. All right, 66 AD, uh, Paul has been arrested for the second time. And, uh, and this time, uh, things aren't going so well for him. By the way, he was arrested not because, you know, he did something major, some horrible, terrible, you know, awful thing. He was actually arrested because he wouldn't shut up about this Jesus guy. He wouldn't stop talking about it. He wouldn't stop telling people about it. And so the Roman government had arrested him, and uh, he had had a preliminary hearing. That did not seem to go very well. And at this point, when Paul's writing this letter, he totally expects to die soon. He, he, he doesn't expect to survive. He thinks he's going to be executed soon. And, uh, and many of the people, to make matters worse, many of the people that were with Paul, that were his buddies and friends and, and um, were help working alongside of Paul, going from city to city, telling people about this Jesus guy and what Jesus had done for them, they had just completely abandoned him, just like left him. All right, they don't want to go to prison. They don't want to deal with any of that. And we're actually going to look at a couple of those guys today. But just here's like maybe the greatest Christian of all time. And his life is just kind of turned upside down. Like everything in man's eyes, let's say that, is going wrong. And so Paul one day, he sits down and in his hole of a cell, little cave, cold, wet, drafty, damp, knowing that he doesn't have much time left. And he's thinking about this guy named Timothy. And Timothy's a young guy who uh, Paul was pouring into. He was training him. He was coaching him. He, was, he had spent years investing into him. And Paul, knowing that he's not going to be around much longer, knowing that these might be his final words to him, he just begins to write. And first he reminds Timothy, he reminds us what we talked about last week. He says, hey, you got a purpose Right? There's a reason, you know, you have a job to do. There's a reason for why you're here. And, you, and God has given you a purpose in life. He's given you a job to do in life. And uh, that's to help people find Jesus. And he didn't just kind of abandon us to, hey, you need to go do this job. No, he, give us, he gave us some gifts, right? Paul, he mentioned that last week where he says, hey, he has given inside of you a spirit of power and love and sound judgment. Right? That's to help you. Okay, a lot of us, I feel like we feel like we're not equipped Right, to tell people about Jesus. And Paul, he like throws that, he like blows that out of the water. He's like, no, 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 that's not true. God, you know, you have everything inside that you need to help people find Jesus. To tell people about what Jesus has done if you're a Christian. And then last week, if you remember, he's challenging Timothy to rekindle his faith. He's like, hey, you got this little fire in you. Let's, let's go. Like, let's, let's build this thing up. Feed that thing. Let's get your faith stronger and stronger and bigger and bigger. And then Paul gives Timothy four examples of how we're supposed to live our Christian life. And that's what we're going to pick up today in 2 Timothy chapter 2, all right, verse 4-3. Okay, he says this, share in suffering, okay? Not necessarily how you want to start off the day, right? It's just like, wait, he's telling us to share in suffering. And here in the original language, what Paul is, is using, he's talking about, basically he's saying, hey, you need to endure hardships, Okay, now he's not talking about like, oh, I had a flat tire this morning. Oh, man, you know, uh, that, that was a hardship or that was, that was a pain. I had a, you know, it's not what he's talking about. He's talking about endure hardships or endure, endure suffering, all right, that happens on the, you know, while you're uh, doing what God has called you to do. Okay, while you're trying to help people find Jesus, while we're doing our work that Jesus has given us. He said, that's what he's talking about. So he says, share in suffering. And it, by the way, it's not something that you're supposed to do alone. It's something that's supposed to be done together. Right? You're supposed to share in it. So he starts off 
He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. No. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Like, that's what a soldier is supposed to do. And I think why Paul is writing this to Timothy is I think Paul understands that Timothy, he's a lot like us. Right? He's a lot like a lot of us in the fact that it sounds like Paul is suggesting, and we see this kind of in the first chapter as well, is that Timothy had been reluctant to face hardship, okay? That he had been hesitant to, to suffer, all right, in the name of Jesus, if that makes sense, or to suffer um, while, you know, helping people find Jesus, while doing the work that God's called us to do, right? Or maybe that he had struggled to have courage in the face of some new challenge. Again, not talking about the flat tire in the road. I'm talking about a, a challenge. He was uh, maybe struggled to have courage in the face of new challenges that came with helping people find Jesus, doing our job, All right? We're actually going to talk more about those specific troubles, uh, struggles ne- next week. But Paul, what he's saying here, right, is he's saying, He's saying, hey, you need, to, you need to share in suffering, right? And he points to the idea of a soldier, right, which, may, I don't know, maybe Paul's in there. He knew a lot about soldiers because he was constantly around soldiers at this point. Maybe he's looking at a soldier. Again, he's in chains in a, in a prison. And, uh, and he's, like, he's like, think about this, Timothy, right? Like a soldier, what's a spo- soldier supposed to be doing? A soldier is all about pleasing the commander. In our case, as Christians, right, our commander is God. Right? He says, that's what we should be concerned about is pleasing God, not getting absorbed in like everyday life. Or what he says, don't get entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He's saying, don't get distracted. Like you need to stay focused. You have a mission and you, need to, and you have a purpose in God, you know, that God has given you. And, and, and let me just like take a step back real quick and just make sure we're all on the same page here when it comes to our purpose. Okay. All right. When I say that, when I talk about our purpose and I talk about our job, all right, I'm not talking about when we go to work or whatever, you know. Um, I'm talking about what God has, telling, has told us to do, which is this. So I want you to focus in here, all right. This is what, the most important thing in our life. This is what we're supposed to be doing. This is what God tells us. Last thing that Jesus said before he went up to heaven. He says this. If you're a Christian in here, all right, which isn't everybody, which is, but probably most of us. All right, if you're a Christian in here, a true Christian, you've given your life over to Jesus, your main job in life is to help as many people as possible find Jesus, okay? Is to do whatever you possibly can to reach as many people as you possibly can for Jesus. That is our job, all right? That is our mission. That is the whole context of what Paul is talking about here. But if you're like me, man, it's so, so easy to lose focus, right? No one, (laughs) maybe I'm the only one, okay, you guys are focused people, focused on lunch. All right, no. <laughs> but uh, that's why he's saying, he's saying, hey, don't get entangled in, in all this everyday stuff. Don't get entangled in this thing called life. Have you ever, you know, th- that happens, right? Where we're, we got this thing called life going on and it's a mess and we got these problems and these problems and these problems, all this stuff. You, you ever realize, have you ever looked around at all the junk competing for our attention? It's just all over the place. Work, kids, school, house projects, all right, you know, Facebook, the news, all right, just all this stuff. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying look at the reality. It's all competing for your attention. And I think a lot of people, 
what they think. It's like, well, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I know, you know, yeah, sure, my main job is to do whatever I possibly can to reach as many people as I possibly can. For Jesus, I get that. But right now I got this big thing going on at work, or I got my marriages falling apart. I got this thing, you know, this house project. I'm trying to redo my kitchen or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, I got this big project going on, this, this big thing going on. And, and it, right now, sure, it's consuming my life, and I just can't seem to see past it. But I'll get my focus after it's done. I'll get my focus back once, once, I, once I figure all this out. But that's never what happens. Because then something else is going to pop up. All right, something else pops up in our life. Paul's like, he's trying to get us to understand that. He's like, no, 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 don't do that. He said, don't do that. You need to focus on the most important thing now. Not later. Not, oh, yeah, someday I'll figure this out when I clear up some of my, some of my stuff in my life. And so for, for us, really, whatever that thing is, and let's be honest, it's never just one thing, right? Whatever those things are in our life, Paul's saying, man, that's so secondary. That's so much lower than the most important thing, which is helping people find Jesus. He's like, they just don't even compare. He actually gives a couple more examples here. He says, also, if anyone competes as an athlete, right, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Um, right here, the, the, when he's talking about an athlete here, he's kind of suggesting, or he's kind of looking back. Back then in their culture, um, athletics was huge, right? They had organized games. Um, this is Greek culture. Uh, they had, you know, that's where we get the Olympics and all this stuff from. And so this was, you know, to be a professional athlete, like they had professional athletes and they would compete and just all this stuff. People go watch. It was a, it was a big deal, kind of like how it is today, in all honesty. Uh, but, uh, but in organized games, what they would do to even have the chance to qualify for an organized game, you had to go through this 10-month, right, huge um, discipline training, like, Thing, like regiment, okay? It was big. It took up all your time. You had to eat the right stuff. You had to do the right things. You had to get to a certain, you know, height in a sense physically, and then you're able to maybe qualify to compete in the games, right? It takes a bunch of work to do that, to get there. That's what Paul's trying to get Timothy to understand. Um, for me, I, in high school, one of the things, I played several sports, but uh, one thing that I did is I ran track, and one of the races that I ran uh, all four years was, was the mile, and, um, and so, a couple, I guess this was a year and a half ago, two summers ago, um, the, I went to school in Fremont. They're tearing down, they tore down the track to, uh, to build a new high school there. And uh, the coaches, they got together and they did this thing called the final mile, okay? And it was, a, it was a race. They invited all the, like, you know, alumni athletes to come back. And, and so I'm like, I'll, you know, I'll do it. I, all my friends were going. And, and so I'm like, you know, I, I'm all into that. And I'm semi-competitive. So, like, if I'm going to run a race, I want to win. You know, that's, uh, um, that's what I want to do. But I have a problem is because I'm competitive and I don't want to be a loser. But I also don't run anymore, okay? So there's an issue. And I'm slow, Okay. And, um, and so what I did was two weeks before, I actually um, got with one of the Heidelberg track coaches that comes here, and uh, I was like, hey, man, you got to give me like a workout thing, like a sketch, like tell me what I got to do. I got to, I got to, you know, I got to knock off some time off my time. Actually, I went and ran like a practice mile just to see where I was, just like, and I ran my heart out, and I thought I was so fast, and I looked at my, my stopwatch afterwards, and it was the slowest mile I'd ever run in my entire life. It was terrible. But I felt like I gave it all out there on the track. And um, so anyway, I go to him, and I'm like, hey, I got to shave off a ton of time. All right, so, you know, it, this is what I'm starting with. And so he gave me this, this two-week regiment, and I'll be honest with you, I skipped a few days. All right, I was like 80%, you know, all in, 80% committed. 
And, um, and I did it, and then I went and ran the race, and uh, I shaved off a bunch of time. You know, it worked, all right? So I, could st- I still got it in me, okay? But, uh, but I shaved off a bunch of time, and, and I beat all my friends, which is what I wanted to do, which was my goal. I didn't, I didn't win, but I did beat all my friends. Um, but, like, during those two weeks, not fun, okay? In fact, as I'm running on the track, I'm like, rip, I can't wait till they rip this thing up. I hate this track, you know? That's how I'm thinking. It's like, it's work, right? Like, it's, it's effort, if you do it the right way, it, ta- it, you know, it takes it out of you. This is what Paul's trying to get him to understand. He's like, it's not just like going to come easy. No, you got to put time and effort and energy into it. He gives another example. He talks about the farmer. All right? He says, the hardworking, by the way, let me just point out this word real quick. Hardworking, hardworking, okay? This word right here, it actually, in the, in the original language, the Greek, which is where, what Paul's writing in, it actually means more than like, uh, you know, hold up. It, well, it means... It means like working to the point of exhaustion, okay? Like physically. See, I think a lot of us, we go to work all day, we sit on our chair, typing in our computer, we do this, we do that, we take our coffee break, we do, and we come home. This is just our culture, and I think it's kind of messed up, but we come home, we're like, man, that was such a hard day at work. Man, I'm tired. Whew. You know, that's not what Paul's talking here. All right, he's, talking, he's saying, no, the hardworking farmer, he's talking working to the point of exhaustion. We're like about to collapse, okay, where you collapse into your bed. He says the hardworking farmer, he ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. He says, consider what I say. Like, think about what I'm saying, Timothy. From the Lord, he'll give you understanding and everything. He'll, he'll you know, look to him. He'll, he'll help you out. See, so he's saying, as a Christian... You know, I, think, I talk to a lot of people where they think they become a Christian. It's like they think it's going to be easy. Like, oh, well, you know, once I become a Christian, I give my life over to Jesus. I'm not going to have any problems. He's going to kind of shield me from, from this and that. And that's not what happens. In fact, Jesus, he tells us actually when we become a Christian, our life's probably going to get harder. Right? It's not going to get easier. We'll probably have to go through more suffering. Right? We'll have more problems in our life. See, he's saying it's not going to be easy. It's going to be work. But it's different now when we become a Christian because now we have a purpose. We have something to work for. We have a goal in mind. And again, the goal is to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. to tell them, at least get to the point where they can make their own decision about whether to follow Jesus or not. But for us, we should be able to work harder. You know, because we have such an honorable, let's say, goal, because we, have, because we have purpose in our life that actually means something past this life, right, we should be working harder than ever before. Like, we should want to work to the point of exhaustion, like a hardworking farmer. Right? And, he is, and then he goes on and he shares our purpose. He's like, remember this, okay, just in case you maybe forgot. He's, again, he's talking to Timothy. He's like, hey, Timothy, remember Jesus? Remember him? Kind of the main thing of everything. It's the core. He says, remember Jesus. He, he was risen from the dead and, and descended from David according to my gospel. See, he's like, this is the main thing, right? This, out of all of Paul's letters, okay, this is, the, this is the central thing. As a Christian, this should be the central thing in our life. It's what we call the gospel. I know this sounds like a churchy word, and people are like, well, I don't know. What's, what's that mean? I heard that before, you know. And it's, uh, the gospel literally means good news. That's what it means. Right, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, you know, on the cross and that whole story about how Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died and he died for us and he died for everything that we've ever done wrong is the perfect sacrifice because he was God. Just all that, they didn't have like a word for it. They were just like, I don't know, it's just good news. 
And so they started calling it the good news. And so that's what gospel means. And so he's saying, remember Jesus who rose from the dead and he was a descendant from David. According to the gospel, he says, for which I suffered to the point of being bound like a criminal. He's like, that's the reason why I'm suffering. He's saying the gospel is the most important thing. Right? We all have the opportunity to make a decision on him. He's like, that's why I'm suffering. I'm suffering for that news. Not to get more money, right? Not to get a better house, all things that we all suffer for, you know, not to have the perfect you know, American dream family. He's like, no, no, I'm suffering for that news. And guess what, Timothy? I'm okay with that. Like, I'm cool with that. Because I'm doing the work that God's given to me. And he wasn't trying to please man. He wasn't trying to please himself, make his life more comfortable. No, he's like, you know, he's, he's like, as a soldier, I'm trying to please the commander and God. And as an athlete, I'm trying to compete God's way. And I'm competing for people's souls. And as a farmer, I'm working hard. I can't stop. I won't stop. I'm, I'm going. And, and, you know, Paul, he's got that fire. And like we talked about last week, he wants Timothy to have that fire within him too. He's saying rekindle that thing. Grow that thing. And he's saying the gospel's the main thing. See, too many of us, we forget to keep the main thing, the main thing. Paul, he's trying to correct that for us. All right, next verse, verse 14. He says, remind them, by the way, who's them? Us. It's the church. Okay, it's us, the church family. He says, remind them of these things, of the gospel. That's the most important thing. And charge them before God not to fight about words, okay, now we're going to get into like the kind of the nitty gritty, because I think a lot of us, maybe most of us, probably all of us to a certain extent, we struggle with this. He says, Our fighting about words is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Not just the ruin of those who are speaking the words, but those who are listening to the words, they get, that ruins them too. And, the, and what he's talking about is here, actually the word ruin, it, uh, it's used another time in the New Testament with Peter. And Peter's using this word to describe an Old Testament story of two cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Maybe some of you guys have heard that before. A lot of you guys probably have. Some of you guys are like, never heard of it. All right, it's just basically two cities that are so, so, so evil, way before Israel, before, like, during the time of Abraham, they were so messed up and so evil that God, he just like poured out judgment on them right then and there. He's like, you know, we're, we're done with this. And, and fire fell from heaven and burned up the cities and they were just gone, like reduced to ashes within a matter of minutes. And so uh, this is the same word used to describe that. All right, and Paul's describing, he's saying that's how useless words, that's how fighting about just words and just stupid stuff, that's how, that's how that fighting, that's what it does to, to the church family. That's what it will do to us here, Tiffin, Ohio, you know, 2021. Stupid arguments about stupid words. It's just, it's just useless. It just, it, it, what it does is it destroys the church. All right, waste your life. Destroys the church family. Two verses later, he says the same thing. He says, hey, just want to remind you, avoid irrelevant or irreverent and empty speech since those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. He says, it's godless. Right? He mentions a couple guys. He says, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. By the way, gangrene, it's like, you know, it's a... It's an infection on your body that spreads. It's a deadly infection. And if you stop it, or if you don't stop it, it's, it's going to kill you. All right? He says, their teaching will spread like gangrene. And Hymenaeus and Philetus, he says, they're among them. He's like, just like them. 
He's pointing to these two guys that Timothy would have known. He's like, remember them? This is what happened to them. This is why they're not part of us anymore. This is why they left. He says it spreads in the church. It's like a deadly infection, just arguing about stupid stuff, the stuff that's not nearly as important as the central theme, which is the gospel. And if, and if, it, you know, if it's allowed to spread, it's going to kill it. It's going to kill the church. It's going to kill the church family. Just like you've witnessed with those two guys. Saying, don't be like them. They left the truth. They left the gospel. They got sucked into dumb arguments. And it ruined their faith. And then we find out in a few verses later, it just didn't just ruin their faith. It also ruined the faith of others. Screwing up the relationship with God. Now they're all wasting their lives. It's so, so sad. You know, for me personally, I've, uh, I've had friends in my life that, uh, you know, grew up like solid. And I've, and I've watched this exact thing play out in, in their lives where they'll go and they'll, you know, grab hold of one thing or some cause or, you know, the, you know they just, something. And it's just like, I believe in this and, and I'm an advocate for this and whatever this might be. And they take that and, and it just progresses. It becomes bigger and bigger and bigger in their life. They argue about it, argue about it, and argue about it. And it's, it progresses. And then they become, you know, more committed to the stupid thing than they do the gospel. Then they do what's really important. And Paul's like, don't do that. That's what happens. That's a warning. He see in the verse 23, he actually repeats again. He says, hey, reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know that they breed quarrels. I mean, think about this. How much do we need to hear this today? Especially, let's say, this week. All right, man, we got social media where everybody gets a voice. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. Or, I, well, let me say, I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. Right, where we all get our voices out there and, and everybody has an opinion and we can argue with everybody's opinions and, and you know, we judge based off our Twitter feed and our Facebook comments and we mindlessly follow people who agree with us. Right? It's just all this stuff I got on Facebook just to, on Friday just to look, just to make sure I was, what I'm saying is true. And it was almost every post was political about this, this, this. There's people arguing and fighting and bickering with each other and it's so... It's so stupid, okay? Let me just say that, all right? It's like, you know, we, it's, where do we become a society where we sit behind a computer screen all safe and sound in our own houses or probably at work for a lot of people, right? And they're sitting behind a computer screen commenting on Facebook, and it's like, oh, <laughs> click, 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 click. I got you so good. <laughs> you realize how stupid that is? It's dumb. What Paul says, he says it's useless. He says it's useless. It's not helping anything. He said, what you're doing is you're taking your focus off your work. Our work, which is helping people find Jesus. You're taking your focus off what truly matters in life. Back to verse 15. He says, instead, this is how we're supposed to work. He says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker. Okay, let me just point out this word. Like, focus up here. You've been thinking about lunch and whatever it might be. Just, like, look up here for one second. Just, I just want you to see this word. Worker, worker, a worker, okay, not a friend, not a daughter of Jesus, not, not a child of God. We all are, we, we're children of God. We, we totally understand it. Not a son of God, okay? It's a, it's a worker, okay? It's too many times we think, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm allies with God. We're friends. No, no, no. It, we're supposed to present ourselves as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. 
See, the idea here is to really to stand beside God. It, in all honesty, you know, what Paul's trying to, trying to get Timothy to understand is that the idea is to stand beside God knowing that he approves of your work, knowing that he approves of what you've done for him, that, you know, giving him your work without fear of disapproval. It's almost like he's painting the picture for Timothy as he's saying, hey, it's like someday we're going to be able to stand beside God and we're going to present him with the body of work, our life, and what we've done in our life that matters, all right, our work. He's, we're going to present God our work, and some of us will be like, here, or okay, there you go, you know, whatever it might be, and uh, we're going to present him our work, and our goal is, is for him, like, we have the opportunity for him to be, to approve it, like, to say, hey, good job, well done, you did good. See, as a Christian, that should be our goal, like, to do the work that means something. Paul, then, he tries to illustrate here in verse, uh, in verse 20, he says, now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, right? Vessels here, it's just, he's talking about dishes, right? He's like, some dishes you, you serve people on, others you don't. So gold and silver, let's say dishes, but also those of wood and clay, all right? The, the dishes of wood and clay, these are literally dishes that they would use to carry away the waste, okay? So you present the food on a nice, you know, silver platter, and then once they're done eating, you put it all in the clay and wooden dishes and you take it away. It's just the garbage. It's the trash. So he says, but also those of wooden clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable use. Okay, so this kind of makes sense. We get that. He's saying, hey, some, he's ta- saying there's two different ki- types of dishes. You got, you got the fine china and you got the trash cans, okay? And so he's saying, uh, you know, some are honorable and some are not so honorable. And, uh, and you don't serve food to someone important on a trash can lid, okay? Like, you don't do that when someone goes to your house. Uh, no, you use the china or the best dishes, which is interesting. China is just interesting to me. Like, Kate and I, we, we got a bunch of china that we picked out for our wedding. I don't think we've ever used it ever, okay? Is that normal? Or, okay, some people are like, yeah, some people are like, no, maybe you'll eat on that for lunch. I don't know. But uh, we never use our china. I'm not even sure where it's at. But, uh, but anyway, he's trying, to, he's trying to give us this comparison. He's like, hey, you got two different types of dishes. You got honorable dishes. You got dishonorable dishes. And he's talking about the church. For today, I think that's kind of, um, I wish he would have used a different illustration because, again, these are just illustrations. Uh, but uh, I think clothes is better, okay, for today, for us to understand. So work with me here. We got honorable clothes. We got dishonorable clothes. You got your normal T-shirts, you know, dishonorable. Like, it's not, just, it's not super useful. Like, for me, I got, like, tons of t-shirts because it's really hard for me to throw away a good shirt. You know, I could use that someday. I might need that shirt. I might want to remember that shirt from high school or middle school or, you know, whatever. I got tons of uh, shirts. And Kate, she's always getting on me. She's like, you need to throw away some shirts. It's taking up all our closet space. And I'm like, they're my shirts. Anyway, but let's be honest. So I maybe have, I got 50 shirts. Yeah, I I got a lot of shirts. I don't know how many shirts. But, uh, you know, your average t-shirt, you know, if if one were to go missing, or if Kate would have thrown one away, I probably wouldn't even notice. Don't tell her that. She's not in this service. But let's be honest, I probably wouldn't even notice. Like, it wouldn't bother me. I, I wouldn't notice it being gone. It's just one of a bunch of different shirts. Not so useful. And I'll wear them once in a while. It's not that I don't use them. They're just not very useful. All right? But then if you go to a wedding, right, you need a good suit. Or you need a suit or something, something nice. All right? And so for me, I got a couple suits. And, and those I have to have for weddings and stuff like that. Like, super, very, very, very useful. 
Like if I were to pick out 10 pairs of clothes that I could, you know, I had these 10 clothes and I could only have these 10, one of them would be a suit, right? Because those are, because, you know, for certain occasions, those are very useful. Um, same thing with like uh, first impression, like you're meeting somebody for the first time, right? You want a good first impression, right? You usually want to dress nice or dress, you know, at least look decent. Um, I remember in college, you know, you'd meet like your roommate's parents and you don't want them to think that like their, their kid's living with a slob or a bum, you know what I mean? So you like clean the room up a little bit if you know they're coming over, gonna check it out. And, and you dress like semi-nice, they got some nice jeans on, you know, you don't look like a, look like a slob. You try to look as honorable as possible. Um, one, I remember, uh, I went to Liberty University, it's a Christian school, and, uh, and so we had, the way our dorms were set up is we had girls' dorms and guys' dorms, and guys weren't allowed in girls' dorms, and door, girls weren't allowed in guys' dorms. All right, kind of weird um, but uh, for some people, but that's just how, that's how it was, and it was fine. And, um, and I remember waking up one Saturday morning, and uh, I, I woke up in my bed, and I look, and there's this, like, 40-year-old woman staring at me, okay? <laughs> it was weird. I don't know how long she had been staring at me. She was just there, and I had never seen her before, and I'm like, hey, how'd you get in? Like, this is my safe place, you know, and I'm in my bed, my safe place within my safe place, my room, and, uh, and what is going on here? And so I'm like, you know, who are you? And she's like, oh, I'm Dan's mom, my roommate. And I'm like, oh, okay, didn't know you were going to be here. And uh, I'm like, where's Dan? It was only us. And I'm like, where's Dan? And she's like, oh, he just went to, to take a shower. And I'm like, freaking Dan. You know, I'm here with his mom when I'm sleeping. I'm in my bed, you know. And it was, it was before the times where we had, like, uh, like, you know, smartphones and stuff. So I couldn't, like... Because what we do now, well, we get our smartphone act like we're doing something important or looking stuff up. He didn't have that. So it was just like me and his mom for like 20 minutes. And uh, I'll be honest, I'm only wearing one thing, and it's not very honorable. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's not. It's not how I want to meet his mom, okay? Now, if I were to like throw off the covers and I was wearing a full suit, now that, that would have been honorable. You know, that would have been sweet. All right, but that's not the case, right? That would have been super weird if I would have done that too. <laughs> but what Paul's saying is this. He's saying, look, in church, God uses everybody, right? God uses all Christians. But here's the kicker. He's saying some are a lot more useful than others. He's saying some are a lot more useful to him. He actually explains this, explains this in verse 21, next verse. He says, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, now what's dishonorable? He's saying if, anything, if anybody gets rid of all the dishonorable stuff in their life, so anything dishonorable would be, you know, not working to please the commander. It's all his illustrations that he's used. Or not competing to reach people like an athlete. Or not working hard like a farmer, doing what God has called us to do. Or maybe it's just arguing with people or bickering with people about dumb stuff online, in person. It doesn't really matter. Just useless arguments. He's saying if you get that stuff out of your life, if you start to please the commander, you start competing for people, you start working hard, he's saying you get that out of your life. He says this happens. He says he, that person, will be a special instrument. It changes. We go from dishonorable to honorable. He says we will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master prepared for every good work. What Paul's doing here is he's actually doing a, a play on the words useful here. All right, as a Christian, we should all want to be useful to God. I, I hope so. All right, I don't know if you can be a Christian and not want that. 
And Paul, as he's playing on these words, in verse 14, he's saying, hey, fighting about stupid stuff, use less. But now he's saying, hey, you remove that stuff from your life and you start working hard, you please God, you know, you're doing all this stuff. He's saying, that is, then you become useful. Paul's saying, hey, you want to be the, t- or you, <laughs> you be the suit, not the t-shirt. Right? He's saying, hey, you want to be the china, not the trash can. And when you do that, God can use your life. And then your life's not wasted. And so here's my question for you tonight, today. We're out, of, we're out of time. It's basically just this. Here's the question. How is God using you? Like, seriously, I want you to think about it. I like, focus in on this one thing. How is God using you? Like, answer that to yourself. How is he using your life? Can you tell how? I'm not saying you're going to be able to tell able to tell every little way that God's using you. I think God's using us in so many ways that we can never know. But we should be able to recognize some of the things. And if you don't, if you're going, hmm, I don't know. Like, how is God not just, you know, how is God using you to reach people? That's the question, right? And you're going, hmm, I don't know. You know, there's a, probably a good chance, I mean, and I'm not trying to be harsh, but there's probably a good chance that you're the dishonorable dish that Paul mentions. That's what he's saying. And my guess is that you probably have something going on in your life that's distracting you from your real work. Maybe it's work, right? Or school or friends or, or kids or house projects or Facebook or the news. See, the truth is your life is slowly draining from you. Right? It's like this hourglass. Slowly draining from me. But too many of us, we're wasting our time. We're wasting our life. And the last thing that I want to think when I'm on my deathbed, the last thing I want to think is have regrets and thinking, man, I've wasted my life. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. That should give you, as a Christian, a sense of urgency. Going, man, okay, life is short. How, what am I doing that really matters? And so my encouragement for today, right, what God is telling us to do to each and every one of us as Christians today is to remove the junk from our life, A, right? Like, like stop arguing about dumb stuff. Stop arguing about stupid stuff, stuff that's not even close to important as the gospel. It's a central thing. And be like a soldier where all you're trying to do is please God. You're living your life trying to please God. We're like an athlete, right? We're competing for people's souls because it, it matters. Like a farmer where you work hard for it and you don't stop and you won't stop. And if that is the person we become, God will use us. And someday you'll be able to stand next to him and present him your body of work. And you will be able to hear the words that I hope so much I hear someday, which is well done. Good job, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray. God, we uh, thank you for caring about us and dying for us. You didn't have to do that. God, we ask that you would help us to really remain focused on what our job is and our work it's what is called work, God, that, uh, that you have for us, which is doing whatever we possibly can 
to reach as many people as we possibly can for Jesus. And there's urgency in that, God. Help us to feel that. Sometimes that's uncomfortable, but help make us uncomfortable. God, help us to reach those in our life, our family members, our kids, our, our parents, our, our best friends, our coworkers, people in our life that don't know you, that are literally on the road to hell. That's what you tell us. It's real. Help us to care. God, help us to live a life that someday we can present it to you and, and hear you tell us, well done. Good job. God, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.